morning. We're glad you're here in the heat of summer. I've, uh, when Pastor Avery this morning was preaching and he started talking about the heat and the, the heat index and the heat whatever, whatever, uh, all I could think about was, amen, it's hot out there. And, and it's just hard to even get in the car to come to church. So I admire you for being here. I asked Becky, now why do we live in Houston? And then she reminded me all of the reasons. And so here we are. Um, but it's delightful to be here. The guests that are here, the, y'all, uh, our Christian brothers and sisters from up the street, thank you guys for coming. It's an encouragement to me that you're here. Okay, so as I was looking at this week's scripture. As we're working through the context Bible, we've hit the point in Acts where Paul likely wrote his letter to the Galatian churches. And I thought, what a wonderful week to take a moment and to to look at it within this context. There is a cosmic drama. There is a storyline. And we're all in a place in that storyline We call it 2014. We call today July 27th. But those are titles we've given. We're on this dirt clod spinning around in outer space, going around the sun. And it's been going around for a long time, and people can debate how long, old earth, new earth, young earth, middle earth hobbits, whatever you want to debate. But there really has been a cosmic drama of which we're a part. There is a God. There is a being that is far beyond our comprehension who is responsible for all that is the universe, all that is nature. And this God has humanity as an object of his affection and attention, of his love and his commitment. This God has in humanity an object made for fellowship. But there's a problem in this cosmic drama. And the problem is that man and woman, after the fall, do not have the purity it takes to commune with God. Just can't be done. For a perfect God to commune with imperfection is is for a square peg to go into a round hole. It does not fit. can't be done. So this cosmic drama is one that's unfolding through history to see where this relationship can be restored. And the promise of prophetic voices in history who have spoken the, the words of God The promise is this God who is committed to the relationship will be faithful to bring to a successful conclusion this drama. And that's what scripture unfolds for us. That's the drumbeat, the storyline, which places our point in history into a cosmic and eternal perspective. We're not simply some accident of of a sperm and an ova that have accidentally created each one of us here. We are people made in the image of God who, though fallen, have the opportunity through Jesus Christ to be restored to a right relationship with God. Now, in this cosmic drama, God's putting it together. This is the story of Scripture. The story starts out with God as the creator in the cosmic drama, with humanity falling in the cosmic drama because of evil and the temptations that, that man and woman succumb to. But 
hand in hand with that beginning is the prophetic promise that God's going to, through the seed of woman, bring about a redemption that is going to come to humanity. And the Old Testament story continues to speak God's voice, giving directions and signals as to where that's going to come. And it comes through Abraham, and it comes through through uh, 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 his son, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all the way through, and God continues to define it. He defines it in David. In the midst of this comic, uh, not comic, cosmic drama, for some of us, it's comedic. Um, In the midst of this cosmic drama, God's working his plan, and and one of the most profound, miraculous, amazing things about our God is how his plan works around our individual choices. God has taken something as erratic and and to us unpredictable, not to him, but something as erratic as our sinful choices and lets each one of us make our choices. And in the midst of those choices, God has still worked everything together so that his plan will come to fruition and the cosmic drama has a good ending. And it's a dramatic storyline, but in the midst of that storyline, God calls a people from Abraham. And those people go into bondage under a Pharaonic king in Egypt. And after 400 years of that bondage, they come out. And God calls them into a wilderness experience, and God speaks to them, and he gives them what they call the law, capital L, law. And this law has got a number of different roles for the people. First of all, it's to keep them civilized so that when they come into the promised land of their own, they have some means of society coping with each other. We know what the boundaries are. We know what's allowable. We know what's not allowable. We've got legal structure. But the law had greater purpose than just that in the cosmic drama. The law also served to show humanity what was expected of humanity to live right at that day, in that time, in that place, before the holy God. The law was given as a means of not just regulating the affairs of men and women, but as a means of regulating the affairs of people in terms of God. The law was not simply, you don't let your ox gore my ox, or you're going to have to pay for it. Which, by the way, is in the law. In fact, if your ox has a propensity to gore, and is gored before, you got to pay punitive damages, treble damages. That's Moses' law. It's very appealing to a plaintiff's lawyer like me. I was reminded of this the other night. Hey, here's some free legal advice. So the other night we were celebrating my little sister's uh, birthday. She turned 25, Holly, how old? Um, we, we were celebrating my little sister's birthday, and we were remembering when they had to give away or actually put to sleep their 160-pound dog because this great Pyrenees dog had a tendency to bite. And a 160-pound dog does not need to be biting people. And I told her after the first bite, I said, okay, under the law, the first bite's free. But once you've got a bite, the next one, you're going to get killed in court. You got you, you can't, if you got a dog with a propensity to bite and he's bitten before, you're in bad trouble if he bites again. It's just free legal advice. Now, that's out of the Old Testament law. But the thing is, is God didn't just put that law there to help the Israelites live civilly among each other. That law had a unique aspect because it was also a law that was vertical and it taught man and woman how to live with God. So God set up in that law a number of different things that were critical in the unfolding of the cosmic drama. God set up uh, uh, um, uh, um, rituals of sacrifice 
Not that the blood of a bull or a goat really was going to wash away the sins of humanity. But so that humankind would start recognizing sin is something that separates from God that requires death. That law was given with with not just rituals for sacrifice, but rituals for celebration. Where you gather in the first fruits and you give them to God to recognize that everything you have belongs to God who is sustaining your life. Where you come to Passover to celebrate Passover. Because God wants this understanding in the minds of not just his people, but other people who read scripture. That there's something prophetic in the idea that God will take a people in slavery, pull them out of slavery through his mighty outstretched hand, pass them through the waters, and bring them into a promised land. And that this would be accomplished through a sacrifice of the firstborn on a night when the Israelites would take an unblemished male lamb and slaughter it and take the blood and put it in the shape of a cross over the door on the lentils and the mantle of the door. No, the header and the side pieces. I forgot what they're called all of a sudden. But you got the picture. And they got the picture. And the only people that weren't destroyed or visited by the angel of death are those who were under the blood of the Lamb. And this is 1,200 years before Jesus comes. But it's to be an annual ritual that's to be passed on from parents to children to children to children and to be celebrated annually because it's a prophetic message about what's going to come in the cosmic drama. It's a glimpse into next week's TV show, Coming Attractions. It's that prophetic vision. And in this cosmic drama, that law was one that captivated a people. And these people, they knew that they had been promised that they were the promised people of God. That from the seed of now David would come one. That someone from David's seed would sit on the throne eternally. That's got cosmic implications. And then comes Jesus. And Jesus is the truth behind the photographs that had been shown. Jesus is not only someone who followed the law perfectly, but Jesus completed the law. He fulfilled the law. He was the Passover lamb. And so much of the law that was a prophetic word about the coming of Jesus, is no longer, I don't want to say it's no longer needed, but in a sense it's no longer needed. My Greek professor Harvey Floyd used the illustration. He said, if I were to go out of town, I might take a picture of my wife. Now I'm going to use the illustration, but I'm going to personalize it and not say it the way Harvey did. When I go out of town, I take a picture of my wife. And I look at that picture. And I look at the pictures of my kids. And I miss them. And I think about them. And I long to come home to be with them. But when I come home and I walk in the door... And Becky's there. And sometimes my kids are there. I don't pull out my iPhone and say, it's so good to be here. Let me look at my picture of you. I think I'm going to hug this. 
How ridiculous would that be when I've got the real thing? Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Becky and I were in Baltimore yesterday and we were visiting with a a friend who is Jewish. And his daughter is a believer. And uh, uh, the, the friend told his daughter yesterday, our friend told his daughter yesterday, if I could come back in life, I'd come back as a Christian. And his daughter was telling us this when we were just having a little private conversation. I said, don't worry Someday soon, I trust, he's going to learn. He gets to come back in life as a Christian. He's thinking that there's a difference between being a Christian and that it would require him to leave his Judaism. And he doesn't understand it's the fulfillment of his Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. We're the ones grafted into the tree. So, now, this is the cosmic drama. And I want to put it into your head before we do class this morning. Because you need that cosmic drama to understand where I want us to go with the class. So now we'll get into the scriptures, okay? So here's what we've got. In the cosmic drama, we're going down to the time of the Roman Empire. And we were there last week in the book of Acts where Paul is dealing with his first mission trip. And as we read and unpack the book of Acts, if we unpack it on a map, what we learn is that among the people that were in the the Jerusalem church service of that first day in Pentecost, Luke makes it clear that there were believers that went to these different locations where I've put either pins or lollipops, depending upon your level of sugar addiction, and how you see that as a Rorschach test, on the map. When I did it, they looked like pins to me, but I'm rather hungry right now, and they do look like lollipops. Those are where we know for certain there were Christian communities. As we start to unfold the mission trips that Paul, Barnabas, and others went on. And you'll notice there are some big glaring areas where the church is not referenced. Macedonia and Greece being one. Spain or the West being one. The West is an area that church history tells us Paul went and evangelized after the history we read about in Acts, that Paul was released from that imprisonment and he went west. We know from Paul's letter to the Romans that he intended to go west. And his intent was, after visiting the church in Rome, to go west, to go to Spain. So both church history and scripture seem to indicate that Paul took care of the western area. Macedonia and Greece is what Paul did in his second and third missionary trip. Paul's first missionary trip, though, was in this little area that I've segmented here. It's the island of Crete and lower Galatia. And so within that framework of that area, Paul does his first missionary trip. He's got Barnabas with him and John Mark for half of it. And they go, and after Paul teaches and brings the church and the gospel message to the Galatian communities, the cities in Galatia, he leaves, but he writes a letter. Now, he writes the letter because the church is having problems. And when we read the letter, we've got to think of it like listening to a one-way phone conversation. Do you ever have a chance to hear someone speaking on the phone? Becky and I were in the car the other day. She was speaking on the phone. And I'm driving, trying to act like the phone call is her business. But the whole time in my brain, I'm trying to figure out, A, who is she talking to? And B, what's being said on the other side? Because it's just interesting enough. I want to know. But I don't want to seem like a nosy husband. So I'm just trying to pick it up. And I'm trying to listen to see if I can hear anything coming from the other side. But she's got it turned down too low. 
or I listened to too much loud music growing up. Either way, it's not working. I kind of lean over a little bit while I'm driving. Still can't tell who she's talking to. So when she hangs up, I say, is everything okay? She says, fine. I said, okay. You sure? Yeah. Because I, mean, I, I, really, I, I don't want to be nosy, but I couldn't tell. No, no, it's fine. I got an idea of what that call was about. We'll talk later, Becky. <laughs> but I don't know for certain, but I got a pretty good idea because I'm hearing her side of it. We hear Paul's side of the conversation when we read the letter. But we don't necessarily, I mean, we, we got we to gotta try to figure out how he was writing, why he was writing it, what, what occasion or situation he's writing to address. Now, some people will say, when, when, they, when I speak like this, they'll say, wait a minute, this is the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit, and Paul may have been asleep while he was writing, and just his pen was moving. That's not the way God does it. Not saying God couldn't, but the indications from Scripture are that God is working to get God's, exactly the, the message God wants out. I mean, God's not... We, we don't have to say, well, gee, then it's not God. It's not a choice. Is it human or is it God? Is it human or divine? Bart Ehrman would like to force you into a box of thinking it's either human or divine. No. Scripture teaches that it's both. That it's God working through people to make sure God's message, exactly the way God wants it, is being set forward. And so Paul's writing, but he's, if, if we can better understand the situation, then we can better understand the context of Galatians. And then we can better apply it to our context. We live in an amazing age that enables us to do this. And we thank God for it. And good stewardship calls for us to do it. Let's go to the Elmo. Uh-huh. All right. So this was the world as as we had looked at it. That's... Italy, that's the boot, with Sicily, good pizza. Okay, it comes up, Serbia, Yugoslavia, whatever you call those countries now, we don't really know. And you got Greece and Macedonia, and then you come down here, you got, oh, Turkey, sorry, Turkey. You got Turkey there, and then you come down here, and you've got the Nile, you've got Israel, You've got Syria. This is Turkey. Sorry, they're a little more poochy than I gave them credit for. This is Greece and Macedonia. Y'all got it? Basically? Okay, so here's what we've got. We've got the church of Galatia, those churches of Galatia, that region, right in here. We'll put it a G in the circle. And we know that there are Christian communities in Bithynia and Pontus and in all of these areas around there where we had the pens, right? Now that means you've got Jewish Christians who are all in travel distance and influence distance of Galatia. You see that? And what happens after Paul leaves is some other people come in and when these other people come in to take over from Paul or to extend what Paul said, they come in and they distort what Paul had preached. Paul had preached the cosmic drama the way I taught it at the start of this class. Hopefully close to that anyway. But the Jewish believers came in and started talking to the Gentile believers, the Greek believers in those churches, and saying, look, if you want to be in God's kingdom and you want to be saved, that's fine. But it's not as simple as putting your faith in Jesus. There's something else you need to do. First, 
you need to become a Jew. Second, you can become a Christian. And one of the ways we'll know you've done this is, as a Christian, you'll live like a Jew. You'll follow the Jewish dietary laws. You'll follow the Jewish holidays. You will honor the photograph. And Paul comes in and Paul writes a letter in response. And Paul says that people who are talking about that have missed the cosmic drama. They've made the law the center of the cosmic drama instead of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus dying on the cross is to solve the problem that exists in the cosmic drama. The law was never a solution to the problem. The law was never given to be a solution. The law could not be a solution. If the law were a solution to the cosmic drama, Jesus didn't have to come and die. If the law is an adequate means to salvation or to a right standing with God, if the law can merge the finger of God, the hand of God with the hand of man. So with that, Paul has to write and Paul says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of God and turning to a different gospel, to some other idea of good news, to some other proclamation of God's solution to the cosmic drama. I says, it's just stunning to me. I just left. Why are you so quickly deserting? Look at the next passage, the next verse. He says, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I didn't put up here 8 and 9, but 8 and 9, he goes on to say, but even if I or an angel from heaven should come and preach to you a gospel contrary to that which you've received, let him be accursed. He says it twice. He says, I'll say it again. If anyone should preach to you a gospel. Look, if anybody suggests to you that it takes something more than Jesus Christ to get you to heaven, they are walking under the curse of Paul. In my younger days, when I was a little more brash and, and, and not as tactful, and I may not be now, but heavens, trust me, compared to what I was then, it's like night and day. I had a friend um, who was, in my opinion, a legalist is what we called him. He just preached that, that salvation is by the work of Jesus Christ and the work of humans. And you get saved by Jesus and you keep your salvation by yourself. And if you sin and mess up, you're going to hell. Because Jesus only forgives certain sins. And after that, it's up to you. And I couldn't believe he was teaching this. And I sat down with him and I said, why are you teaching this? This is heresy. He says, no, this is, this is the Bible. I said, I'll tell you what this is. I said, I just want to ask you one thing. He said, what's that? I said, how does it feel to be walking under the curse of Paul? Huh? I said, how does it feel to be walking under the curse of Paul? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, then you hadn't read Galatians. Because Paul says in Galatians 1, 8 and 9, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, I say it again. Anyone preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 
What was the gospel they received? The gospel they received was one. Look at look at this is another passage. Paul says it this way in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you? Who's pulled this trick? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul says, I stood before you. I told you he died for your sins. I told you he solved the cosmic dilemma. He's the point, the center of the cosmic drama. He's the solution. His death paid for your sins. His death explains the Old Testament. His death is the reality of those photographs that the Jews were staring at for lo these thousand plus years. So I want to ask you this. Did you become a Christian? Did you receive the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. Our daughter Rebecca is taking an SAT prep course. And in the SAT prep course, they teach them how to take the SAT test so that they can score better, so that they can leave home (laughs) and go to college while we cry. If she fails, she stays home and we cry. (laughs) So we're destined to cry either way. We want her to have the good life, so she needs to go to college. Now, I don't, I haven't covered this with her yet. And I don't think I need to because I think it's a gimme by the time you're Rebecca's age. On the SAT, if they give you a choice and you look at the choice and you think, well, A looks pretty good. But B looks pretty good. Don't ever circle both of them. You will not get it right if you select A and B. That's not the way the test is given. Paul doesn't let you circle both. Paul has written this as either or. Did you receive it? either by works of law or hearing with faith. You got a choice. This solution to the cosmic drama, how did it come? Did it come by you following your instruction manual? Or did it come by you trusting in that public proclamation that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And he says, well, I mean, their answer to that's got to be uh, uh, it came by hearing with faith. But what they had been told was, okay, now start following the rule book. Start hugging the picture. And so he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, which was hearing with faith, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now trying to do that which you weren't able to do to start with and claiming your righteousness before God based upon that. Let's just, sorry, we'll just keep going. We got a little bit of time. Let's just spend a little bit of time in Galatians. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you And works miracles among you. Do so by works of the law. Or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. The cosmic drama already had a solution before the law ever came. 
Paul says, don't ever confuse the law with the solution to the cosmic drama. Because the solution was already proclaimed upon Abraham himself. And Abraham didn't get his righteousness by doing the law. The law wouldn't come for another 400 years. So, so Abraham, Father Abraham, the one who gives definition to what it means, the one who was pointed out by the prophetic word of God as the, one of the important links in the chain solving the cosmic drama. He had his faith counted as righteousness. Paul then says, so it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Don't let anybody come tell you to be a child of God, to be one of his promised people, to be one of the chosen few, you have to be a Jew. No, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. It's those who believe in God who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. What Paul is driving home is his gospel message. And the gospel message is that when you trust, by the way, the Greek word pistuo, faith, is the same as the Greek word pistuo, trust. Sometimes it's translated trust, sometimes it's translated faith. If you have faith, if you have trust, if you have faith, then you have the, the, the gospel. You have the same gospel Abraham had. And that's your salvation. That's your solution to the cosmic drama. Now, he'll go on to say the, the futility of trying to do it by works of law. And he'll talk, Paul talks about that in a good detail. Paul talks about how the law and the promise, and he just keeps going and going and going. But I want to skip to the middle of chapter 3 and go into chapter 4 for a moment. Because in chapter 3, he's saying, now, am I just throwing away the law? Am I saying the law is pointless? Am I saying it's a joke? No. But before our faith came, before we began believing in Jesus Christ and his good news, we were held captive under the law. We were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So when the law was our guardian until Christ came. You see that guardian. The law was our guardian until Christ came. Now that's kind of goofy. How many of you have a guardian? Not many. Um, I, I was Batman Robin's guardian? Maybe. You know, in law, if you're not mentally competent, you can have a guardian appointed for you. If you're in law, if you're under the age of 18 and you've got a legal proceeding, the court's got to make sure it's in the child's best interest. So if, if, if you if you come to me and say, Mark, I need you to represent my son in this lawsuit. My son's 12 years old. And I represent your son in the lawsuit. And we find this fantastic settlement for your son. We can't just enter into it. We have to go to a judge and the judge appoints a guardian for your son. To look at it independently to make sure it's in your son's best interest. That's the way a guardian works. To make sure that it's not something you and I as the parent and the lawyer just cooked up. To the detriment of the son. But... That doesn't really translate the Greek word as well as we should. And it's a Greek word worth knowing. So we've got to cover two more things real quick before we go. But this is a Greek word worth knowing. It is in the Greek, 
pedagoge. Pedagoge. A pedagogue. Now, the problem is, we don't have an English word to really translate that. You know what petty means. Children, because you know what a pediatrician is. This is a, some translators translate it as a tutor. Some translate it as a guardian. Let me tell you who it was. If you had a a Greek household and you had children and the children were newbies, they get maybe a nanny type, but more important than a nanny type, they would get a pedagogy. And the pedagogy would be responsible for teaching your kids their manners. Teaching your kids how to behave. Teaching your kids what your kids needed to know before they started school. And then when your kids reached school age, they didn't have school buses. The pedagogy would walk the kid to school. Then pick the kid up at the end of school and walk the kid home until the kid was old enough to do so himself or herself. Paul says the law was your pedagogy to lead you to Jesus. The law taught you your manners. It taught you how to behave. It taught you the things you needed to know to come to Jesus. You needed to know you were a sinner. To ask for salvation. That's the function of the law. Then Paul uses another wonderful metaphor. Let's keep reading. So he says, the law was our pedagogy until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we don't need a pedagogy anymore. We've grown up, we've matured, we've reached what the pedagogy was to train us to achieve. In Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. As many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's it's like wearing something. He uses the picture image. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, doesn't matter if you're a Greek, doesn't matter if you're a slave, doesn't matter if you're free, doesn't matter if you're male, doesn't matter if you're female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, you're Abraham's offsprings, you're heirs according to the promise. And look at this. And I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything but he's under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. Read this with me, then I'll explain it. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, you're a son. If you're a son, you're an heir. Now, how many of you women are sons of God? Is that Paul being a sexist? Gee, Paul, couldn't you at least say adoption of sons and daughters? You sexist. No, Paul's not being a sexist. Paul's already said there's neither male nor female. But Paul has to write it that way because adoption as a son gave you rights that you didn't get in the Roman Empire if you were adopted as a daughter. This isn't Paul being a sexist. If we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. Let me give you, um, let me talk to you a moment about adoption and Roman law. Um, We think of adoption today as something that happens when 
families want a kid. I want a kid. Um, you know, let's get a couple. Let's go, let's go, let's go adopt. Okay? Well, it's not easy, but that's the way we think about it, some of us. That's not at all the Roman way. Roman society was a society based upon a couple of foundational pillars. And one of them was family lineage moves on. And if you didn't have a son for your family lineage to move on through, you adopted one. Hey, they adopted people who were 30, 40 years old. Now, we're not talking about adopting a kid necessarily. You adopt someone that you think is going to take care of your estate. It's going to take care of your family. Going to take care of the daughters you couldn't get married off. Going to take care of all the, the obligations you've got. But when you adopt someone, whomever you're adopting becomes your absolute possession in Roman law. You own them. The Roman law was built around the potestas, the father. Think of it as the residual that you'll still find in parts of Italy, south of Rome, generally. We're low this 1,500 years later. The Godfather still has an amazing power. That's the heritage that it evolved into. In Roman times, the potestas was the father who had absolute possession. And he owned And so if he adopts, whoever he adopts, the father owns. And the originating family, the potestas that the adopted comes from, no longer owns them. They no longer have any claim to them. And then when that adopted person comes in, every debt and obligation that adopted person has comes with them. As well as every possession. So let's say uh, uh, I need to adopt someone. Um, uh, I'm going to adopt Dr. Bob. Now, Dr. Bob has a really cool car. He drives a Tesla. You won't hear him coming. You'll have to see him because it's electric. If I adopt Bob, even though he's older than me, A lot older. (laughs) If I adopt Bob, I get his Tesla. Problem is, he may not have paid cash for it. I might get his note too. Because I get all of his obligations as well as all of his possessions. The adopted person transfers everything they've got. You come with everything you've got. That's the law of adoption of sons at the time Paul's writing. And he says the believer's been adopted as a son, whether male or female, same thing. Same principles will apply. And those are our key takeaways. Look at them as a takeaway for a moment. We belong to the Father. I'm His. I've been adopted as a son. I cry out, Abba, Father. I don't belong to the law. I don't belong to the community. I am not my own. I belong to him. Paul will say it this way in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life... That I live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's it. I've been adopted as a son. I belong to the Father. The originating family has no more claim to me. Now, I don't mean my mom and dad. I don't mean my wife and kids, and Paul doesn't either. Paul's talking about that bondage we had to sin. Whether it's under the law or not. Sin has no more claim on me. Oh, don't get me wrong. I know what a struggle it is. And I am 
not saying I don't sin. But sin doesn't have a claim on me. And that old man that doesn't seem to figure it out sometimes, that dwells up within me and rises up within me, and that is the part that's on its way out. Because there is a newness of life in me and the Spirit of God in me that is growing in me and daily transforming me into the image of His Son. God is at work in His adopted child. God did not adopt me out of God's need. God adopted me to transform me, to solve the cosmic drama. So, He took my debt. He gave me His life. He has solved my cosmic drama. He has solved your cosmic drama. That is the solution that we've been looking for all along. We now belong to the Father. Sin has no more claim on us. God took our debt. He gave us life. That's the answer that Paul was giving to the Galatian church. Now there's some more. We'll talk next Sunday about Paul typically would divide his letters in half. Not half, but in two parts. The first part's kind of theology. The second part's practical living. Next week is practical living. We'll look at chapter 6 of Galatians. But this is the key. And this is the solution to the cosmic drama. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you simply on the blood of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We come to you strictly in faith in Jesus. We have no nothing to offer you beyond our broken, sinful selves. We have no way of achieving your love, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, your fellowship. We bring nothing but sin in need of life. But Lord, we come to you as children, crying out, Abba, Father, through the blood of Jesus, recognizing and trusting in the life that you have given us. Please help us to walk in the victory of your spirit and help us to walk like the redeemed people we are. Adopted children of yours, Father. Proudly proclaiming to this world that there is a way out that you have solved the dilemma and the drama. And we rejoice as your children. In Jesus, we pray, amen.